All right, we are back on page 38 um, with, it's time to look at the original tactics used to manipulate him into forgetting his identity during his in initial enslavement. During a time when he was treated as a prisoner of war without the Geneva Convention, the slave master used a two-level process to force the black man into developing amnesia so he could be a tool for labor. The first level consisted of physical trauma, a ploy imp implemented by long-term uncomfortable transport by ship across the ocean in cramped, overcrowded, inhumane corridors below deck where he was stacked like sardines and left to sleep in his own excrement. excrement. Disorientation. The ships took him to land, geographically unfamiliar to him, containing foliage, wildlife, and a climate he was not accustomed to, and it was far, far away, many days and nights. Hostility. He was treated badly, disrespected, rough-handled, chained, and rendered helpless, and then forced to watch the brutalization of his mother, his woman, and his children. The second level, a more devastating one, consisted of he was prevented from speaking his own language <clears throat> or sounds used to transmit and receive information to reflect the intensity of ideas, express history, and describe things indigenous, indigenous to a particular people, prohibiting his language, stopped black men from communicating with each other, and broke ties. His name was changed. The slave master insisted on renaming his uh, charges according to his own whims, ignored their given names. It was important to impress upon the black man that he was no longer the same person, so he was given a new identity in a new land with a new status as a slave. The slave master abolished his religion. His God concept was taken from him, from him to prevent him from receiving comfort or calling on his own Lord for help. His God was replaced with the white man's God, another white man who was more powerful and currently in charge of him. Religious authority was redistributed by changing it from black to white. This is not new information. Practically all black men knew that their ancestors were stripped of their names and religion while in slavery. But the reclaiming of these two important identifying features has never been paramount enough for him to address the issue on a national agenda. The question becomes, how can he reestablish his own culture or define his own identity while still clutching the European labels forced on him during his enslavement? It is irrational thinking for the black man to continue to bellyache upon his real identity without investigating what his real identity was before he was enslaved and returning to it. The only part of his cultural traditions the slave master allowed him to keep and maintain was sport and play under auspices of singing and dancing, game and sport competitions, making jokes and playing the fool. These are the three components that are now looked upon as skills the black man specialized in to a fault. They are activities for which he is best known and most sought after for today. He is acclaimed and an expert in these categories, and they gain him recognition, earn him the most money, and make him the most admired. 
He can be found exhibiting these attributes for a fee or for free in front of whatever audience is available. He is accustomed in certain circles to being called upon to do his little dance, tell his little joke, or demonstrate his physical proficiency proficiency in some sort of challenge. He takes pride in being singled out or requested to show off his special talents. He is sometimes known for being the ambassador <clears throat> or clowning the chairman of laughing at his own self and the president of general Tom Foolery. He delights in some people referring to him by saying the nigga is crazy or you are so funny or you crazy. Sadly, when he responds, he is. He thinks that it is in fun, but the biggest joke is on him because it keeps other adults from taking him seriously. It is futile to convince him of this. This These actions perfiliate proliferate a behavior he perfected during slavery to stay on his master's good side. Unfortunately, this behavior is also part of his identity today. Currently, the black man refuses to give up the names the slave master saddled their family with, so his identity remains clouded by names connected to other nationalities from all over Europe. He insisted that his name is now his own, and as long as he keeps his European name, he will continue to grow away from the so-called black culture he claims he is so proud of and desires to return to. Another unique aspect of his name problem is that black men, especially those claiming to be versed and trained in psychology, have not investigated or reported on the significance of the black man carrying a white man's name or how it affects his mental status. Black male psychologists are remiss as scientists do to their collective refusal to bring attention to the negative psychodynamics inherent in taking a man's name and religion from him. The black man's ego derives its energy and motivation from identif identifiable points of basic references, such as by the name one is called by or answers to. They have failed to address the virtual impossibility of the black man reclaiming his cultural roots while maintaining and protecting the very symbols and systems used against him to control his body and mind during slavery. The slave system was a very well-planned and thought-out process, which contained no useless motions or insignificant techniques. So if the main possessions taken from the black man who man was his name and his religion, obviously they are the most crucial elements that have the greatest influence on man's mentality, strength, and confidence. Black men use the following excuses for holding on to their European names. A name is not important. It is what you do that counts. It doesn't matter what they call me. Just give me a chance. Some are too embarrassed or ashamed to announce to their friends, family, or white counterparts that they are reclaiming their own historically black names. They don't want to go through the rejection or mockery from family or friends, especially from the mothers and women, who may refuse to refer them by their new name and make mockery of them. They think changing their names will be disrespectful to their parents who gave them the name at birth. Possibly they are even named after a now deceased popular relative. The ideal of informing a church club, co-workers, or children and, and mailman of the new name is an overwhelming thought to them. They are apprehensive about the resistance they expect to encounter from all of these groups. They don't want to cause a problem on their jobs by informing their white bosses of their personal office 
or their new name or why they changed it. They are emotionally connected to their name having been taught that it is their Christian name. <clears throat> they don't know how to change their name and think it will ruin their credit or cause them problems with the IRS. They don't know any African or Arabic names. So we're going to stop there at page 41. Um, and what did you get from, from that? Wow, this is getting deep. What I got from it is just um, the overall how slavery um, took away the black man's identity and the tactics that were used, um, just stripping him of his language, his religion and basically that gives you an identity of knowing who you are and um and i also like how she talks about changing your name and letting go of the slave name and how many are ashamed and then many that do do it don't talk about it much because um they their family even their own mothers and uh Fathers refuse to call them by their new names. So, and they're just seeking and getting their true identity to make them live a better life. So, that's what I got from it.